I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. And I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And this is World Footprints. In this episode, we'll consider the challenges facing LGBTQ plus travelers as we talk to a fellow travel journalist, and we'll look at life as a digital nomad from one of our very own. First, our friend and colleague, Michael Longo, freelance travel writer, editor, photographer, and educator, among others, he wears lots of hats. Michael knows about traveling in hot spots around the world. We've come to know Michael and his eye-opening writings on places like Afghanistan and gay travel in the Middle East that get you to think about the world differently. But Michael also has his pulse on travel issues for the LGBTQ plus community and the considerations that go into traveling around the world for gay travelers wherever they might find themselves. It's always nice to travel to a place where you're welcome, where you, where you feel safe, but sometimes when you travel to places that are more difficult, you can also educate people in those places. Many of these places where it is difficult for the locals to be openly gay, you as a traveler where you are less at risk, you can be someone who serves this sort of role to educate people. If you've ever dreamed of a life full of travel but have never taken the plunge, Digital Nomad and World Footprints editor, our very own, Kelly Paxian shares what it takes to live a life on the road. I left my job in PR and went traveling for six months and that's when I realized like I had caught the bug big time. Um, And then when I came back to Vancouver, I would still like travel a lot for work and for pleasure. But every time I got back to Vancouver, um, I just really felt like it, it wasn't home for me. As you enjoy this episode, keep in mind we spoke to both Michael and Kelly before the coronavirus pandemic gripped the world. Michael is based in New York City, the U.S. epicenter of the coronavirus. And the movement of coronavirus through the African nations prompted Kelly to return to her home in Vancouver, Canada, where she'll remain until the pandemic passes. This is World Footprints with Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Freelance travel writer, editor, photographer, and educator Michael Longo has visited more than 100 countries. A University of Michigan Knight Wallace Journalism Fellow, Michael's research and writings have focused on the role travel journalism plays in tourism development in conflict zones and urban areas under stress. Michael has his pulse on travel issues for the LGBTQ plus community and the considerations that go into traveling around the world for gay travelers wherever they might find themselves. He joins us today to talk to us and educate us about the LGBTQ plus community with respect to traveling the world. We recorded this conversation prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Michael, we know that there are still many countries that still hold anti-gay legislations and some even carry sentences of execution for homosexuality activity. How has this impacted you as a travel journalist and an advocate for the LGBTQ community, especially considering your recent assignments in some conservative Asian countries? Uh, so that's a very broad question, uh, but an important one, Tanya and I think it's great that you've asked this. Um, my personal belief is that nobody should ever not travel to a place 
you know, and, and should not really boycott destinations, but should really take a look at safety issues, should take a look at um, what is going on there using resources such as IGLTA, International Gay and Lesbian Travel Association, um, reading up uh, from the State Department, um, reading up also groups like Outright International. Most of the problems really lie, or the issues that are really dangerous, lie in some African countries, Middle Eastern countries. One of my books, as you know, is Gay Travels in the Muslim World. Saudi Arabia has a death penalty officially. And I've lived in mainland China. I've lived in Hong Kong. Um, mainland China, it's a little more difficult to be out versus Hong Kong. Hong Kong will have the gay games, for example. But, you know, these are not countries that are like Western Europe or even the United States or even now what we're seeing in Latin America where uh, countries like Argentina actually had same-sex marriage passed before the United States did. So I, I think that the other issue is that when people are foreigners who are traveling to a place, they're less at risk for any of these laws versus somebody who is local. Um, and that's something that I often stress to people is going back a little bit, but again, Egypt remains and is a dangerous place. There was the Queen Nile boat incident in early 2001, where all of the gay foreigners who were on that boat when it was raided, um, if people are familiar with, with this uh, incident, all the foreigners were released, but it was the locals who were arrested and tortured. So this gives a very pointed example of the risks for locals versus the travelers, the expats, uh, the people on vacation in a place. Now, at the New York Times Travel Show, we found a publication that listed travel services for gay travelers gay Airbnb, a pride map of Japan, gay cruises, and so forth. Is there something similar to a green book for gay travelers, uh, similar to what African-Americans had in the Jim Crow era to navigate their travel through parts of the South? Similar books do exist. There were the Damron Guides, for example, which still exist. I used to work for a company called um, Fun Maps, which actually mapped out gay districts around the world. Um, and these kinds of resources still exist. Um, they're not necessarily physical books in that same way. I love physical books, and I get physical books, like <laughs> Damron's and Spartacus. But that same information is also on the web, um, which can explain some of these issues in great detail. Uh, so, for instance, uh, AYOR, at your own risk, was often a sort of listing for locations in a place, um, but also an overall issue for a destination if it was a very risky place for gays. In the same way, uh, it's not quite like sundown towns, um, but just where this would be a very dangerous place for you to be, to be mm -hmm. gay or to be open. You know, and I think the, these concepts of these specialized guidebooks, which kept people from being killed, uh, whether they were African-Americans traveling through the Jim Crow South um, or gay people traveling through well, the U.S. South as well um, and other, other countries um, are very significant. And other examples exist, like um, kosher guidebooks, for example, for, for Jews who, who travel, um, halal guidebooks, for example, for Muslims who travel. Mm -hmm. So where you need this sort of specialized information, which could also give warnings about this is not really a safe place for people who are different. We're talking to Michael Longo about the challenges and issues faced by gay travelers. 
We had this conversation with Michael before the global pandemic of the COVID-19 virus. Touching on something you said a little bit earlier, uh, Michael, yeah. with regards to African countries, um, I noticed that some of the countries that still criminalize same-sex relationships only apply their laws, their criminal laws, to gay men. Countries like Jamaica, Singapore, uh, Kenya, Namibia. I mean, it's discriminatory already, <laughs> but why discriminate just solely against men? Uh, I think, you know, there's a couple of different ways to look at this. Um, male homosexuality is perhaps more visible. Um, worldwide, um, when we do think of LGBT travelers and all, or LGBTQ plus travelers, it's really the G in that that is most visible um, in terms of gay male travel and often gay white male travel, um, for example. But I think you know this has historically been the case, and even if uh, it's sort of attributed to Queen Elizabeth, Queen Victoria, for example, that um, she was so supposedly so shocked by the idea of lesbian love that she believed it couldn't possibly exist, but she believed that male homosexual love could exist. Um, hmm. So it sort of goes to this temperament that it's less visible. When two women travel and, and want to share a bed together, it's not necessarily thought that it's two women who are in love with each other. It's just two women traveling. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting that you bring up, places like Jamaica, there's places like Uganda, many of these are former British colonies, um, and the British Caribbean tends to be more dangerous for gays versus the French Caribbean, versus the Dutch Caribbean for sure, versus the Spanish Caribbean. So that's one thing to point out. The other thing to point out that many of these issues that exist in African countries, very often Anglophone African countries, have to do with colonial rule, but they also have to do with American churches being very involved in creating uh, these problems for the LGBT community there. So it's our own American churches that are creating some of these problems for gays locally and for gay visitors. Now, you touched on some of the places that are unfriendly. Are there any places that have a reputation as being uh, places to absolutely avoid for gay travelers? I mean, I think that most people would avoid uh, places that are currently at war. Um, so places like Iraq, Afghanistan, um, certainly you'd want to avoid Syria and anything that is ruled by ISIS. Uh, though ISIS has less territory than it used to have. Um, so, you know, clearly any place that's in the midst of conflict, which is dangerous for any traveler, but where religious fundamentalism uh, is also part of the conflict, um, LGBTs are definitely some of the targeted people, and we've seen that in, in territory controlled by ISIS, for example. Um, there are places where it is the West, technically, um, but where it is more difficult to be openly gay in places like Russia, the former Soviet Union, um, where Putin has uh, sort of in some ways reinstated uh, authoritarianism from the past and a bit of a religious revival and LGBTs are targeted. Mm. So where are some of the safe countries for gay travelers? So I would say that almost everything in Western Europe um, is definitely safe to visit. Of course, we are 
the world is becoming more um, conservative as a whole. Um, fascism is on the rise, even in you know we know that in our own democracy, uh, and you know Italy is becoming more of a fascist country in many ways with the rise of the right wing. Um, so I would say that Western Europe is definitely a safe place, but you have to be aware of these issues that are arising globally. Um, within Latin America, I've, I've lived in Argentina, the capital city Buenos Aires. Uh, LGBTs are sort of woven into the fabric of the city. There's no real gay district per se. Um, this is one of the, the first countries to pass the same-sex marriage law in 2010, even before the United States had. You know, in the Middle East, uh, Israel is a safe place uh, for LGBTs, often in contrast to many of the surroundings. At the same time, I would say that a place like Lebanon, um, while it's technically illegal to be gay in, in Lebanon, Beirut, the capital, has quite a thriving LGBT nightlife and, and community trying to get its rights. So Western Europe, we know the United States, we know Canada, we know that Taiwan recently passed the same-sex marriage law, the first in Asia. So, and Australia, of course, is another place that is very safe. My personal belief is that it's always nice to travel to a place where you're welcome, where, where you feel safe. But sometimes when you travel to places that are more difficult, you can also educate people in those places. Many of these places where it is difficult for the locals to be openly gay, you as a traveler where you are less at risk, you can be someone who serves this sort of role to educate people or to be, oh, the one openly gay person that somebody has met. Right. Well, we will certainly uh, continue uh, speaking about this and hopefully through our, our dialogues, through our conversations, um, we can in our little way uh, impact how things are, uh, how things evolve. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Ian. To learn more about Michael's writings and travels, visit Michael Luongo, spelled L-U-O-N-G-O dot com, or click on the link on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper, explore, and keep meaningful conversations going by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. If you've ever dreamed of a life full of travel but have never taken the plunge, you can vicariously experience the digital nomadic life with Kelly Paxian. In addition to being a digital nomad, Kelly is the editor of World Footprints and she's curated some wonderful articles for our website. Kelly joined us from South Africa where she'd been for the previous three months. At the time of our call, Kelly was planning to explore more of South Africa before heading to Bali. 
Those plans are on hold as our conversation with Kelly took place prior to the coronavirus pandemic now sweeping South Africa and the rest of the world. Kelly, you're on an an adventure of a lifetime that would make any travel lover, i.e. me, jealous. (laughs) Tell Tell us what you're doing and where you are right now. Yeah, I mean, you travel a lot too, so I think everyone's lucky, but um, I I honestly do feel like I'm living the dream right now. I guess I'm what you would call a digital nomad, Um, so I'm just kind of working remotely, working from my laptop, and it allows me to live anywhere in the world, so right now I'm in my favorite city in the world, which is Cape Town. Ours too, actually, because Mm -hmm. we honeymooned there. No way, did you? Yeah. Yeah, a long time ago now, but uh, we did uh, we did thoroughly enjoy it. Now, how long have you been living on the road, and what made you decide to make this lifestyle change? Yeah, I've been. I guess I've been a digital nomad technically since um, like August of last year, so not that long actually, but. Um, The past few years for me have been really focused around travel. Um, I left my job in PR and went traveling for six months. And that's when I realized like I had caught the bug big time. Um, And then when I came back to Vancouver, I would still like travel a lot for work and for pleasure. But every time I got back to Vancouver, um, I just really felt like it, it wasn't home for me right now. Like my heart was still out in the world and I just didn't want to be at an office in Vancouver. So um, now, you know, my profession is like marketing, digital marketing, writing and editing. So I can do all that stuff online. So there was really no reason for me to be in an office when my priority right now is to see the world. And um, so, yeah, I kind of made the switch. And uh, in the fall, I was traveling through Central America and Colombia and um, working a little bit along the way. And now that I'm based in Cape Town, I've been here for just over a month now. And it's been awesome to kind of make a little home base somewhere away from home. So I've been able to really like focus on working and yeah, it's amazing. I've just been going to cafes every day, like testing out like cute coffee shops and just working from my laptop. And there's actually a huge digital nomad scene here in Cape Town. So there's a lot of people working um, remotely as well. So there's like a really good network here and a lot of good resources. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. <laughs> now, I am curious, uh, given given that you left Vancouver and now you're in Cape Town, what really has changed in terms of some of the basic things like how uh, you get around town? Or are you relying on uh, Uh, Uber or Lyft or are you driving yourself? How is that working? Yeah, I'm big time relying on Uber. Actually, it's so funny. Vancouver in Canada actually just got Uber like a couple weeks ago for the first time. It didn't have Uber up until now. So I've actually never been in in Vancouver when they have Uber, but so I obviously use it here in Cape Town. So you guys, you guys have been here, so you know, it's not, it's not the safest for me to walk around in some areas by myself. So um, you kind of just understand that and you learn to navigate it. And so Uber is the answer because, you know, it's reliable. Your driver has been verified. um, So it's just kind of the safest option for getting around. So that's what I've been doing. And it's pretty affordable too. Also, as I travel, I'm collaborating with like 
I'm staying at a hostel right now and same with in the fall when I was in Central America. So I've been doing some work exchange for them so I can like lower my cost of living in exchange for helping them with their social media or their marketing or their website. So um, that's a really good option for people to lower their costs when traveling as well. I think you don't even need to, it doesn't need to be social media. You can offer your services um, by like just working at reception or bartending or providing some photography or videography or even maybe yoga classes. So if you want to travel, you could you could always reach out to hostels and see if they're open to an exchange like that. Uh, so you're essentially bartering your services for accommodations and um, and travel. But what about airfare? How how is that? How are you able to work that? Um, and, and, and also land travel, if you're traveling by train, how are you able to work those things into your budget? Yeah, to, airfare is definitely the biggest hit. And from Vancouver to Cape Town, it's like about as far as you can get across the globe. So it's very expensive. But I mean, I'm going to be here for about three months, like as long as I'm, I'm allowed. I'm on a 90-day tourist visa. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the big chunk of the cost. And then when I'm here, I've just been in Cape Town so far, but um, actually this weekend I'll be kicking off a new kind of adventure. I'm going to do a road trip up the garden route, which is like Mm -hmm. the coast of South Africa. Have you guys done it? Yes, we have. (laughs) Um, Okay. You'll have to give me your tips. (laughs) Um, So, so then I'll be, um, I'm actually partnering with, um, it's like a backpacker bus called the Baz bus. So um, I'll be taking over their Instagram and providing them with photos and um, some content. So it's just a way for them to get some fresh content on their social media. Um, it'll be, I'll be super active on it. Um, so that's a way that I can like cut down on costs by, yeah, like you said, like just providing my services in exchange. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you find some of these um, resources, Kelly? I mean, how how did you find like the Baz Bus and just for the, you know, those nomad or aspiring nomadic travelers out there, what's your process in in finding these um, opportunities? Honestly, just it's with, with backpackers. And since I'm staying in hostels all the time, I'm always meeting people who have like, come down the same route that I'm looking to do. So they always can provide like hostel recommendations or here in the hostel, there's signs for the Baz bus. Like it's just, you just kind of know that that's the option for backpackers. Um, you can also rent a car, which you guys might've done um, t- to do the garden route. But for me, since I'm a solo traveler, I like to do the kind of like backpacker things so that I can meet people. So yeah, I've, I've met a couple of people who have done the Baz bus and I just thought it would be good. It's like a hop on hop off bus. So I can just, it's like a one way um, ticket, I guess. And then I just stop at whatever little towns I want along the way and spend like a night or two there. Where have you traveled thus far since you've become a digital nomad? So I left Vancouver in September and I, I worked my way down through Central America. So I did Belize, Guatemala, Nicaragua, a little stop in El Salvador and Costa Rica. And then I went down to Colombia. Um, and then I went home to Vancouver for Christmas. And now I'm in Cape Town. We're talking to Kelly Paxian about life as a digital nomad. Our conversation with Kelly occurred before the global coronavirus pandemic, which stopped travel around the world. Mm. What was your rationale for picking those particular places? I hadn't done Central America before, and I really wanted to do Colombia as well. 
So it was a really good like backpacker route where I didn't have to fly. I could just take buses um, and shuttles along the way. And um, yeah, it was an awesome part of the world to explore. Have all of the selections been intentional or have they just been, well, uh, best airfare or new experience, this is where I'm going to go? No, Cape Town is special. So in the in the fall, like that was kind of more of a traveling experience for me. I just wanted to um, check out those countries. This is my third time to Cape Town in the last two years. So the first two times I came, it was just a week long both times. And I just fell in love with the city. So I knew this is where I felt really happy. And now that I have the ability to work remotely, now that I've like become a digital nomad, um, I just knew this was the place that I wanted to come and really post up and focus on my work and just get to know the city better. Kelly, for the, again, aspiring digital nomad, what are some of the steps that they might need to take in order to make their travel dreams happen? Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there to work remotely. Um, Like I said, I do writing and editing and marketing, but, you know, you can also do graphic design, web design. Um, You can do a lot of like marketing or recruiting activities. I think for anyone who has a desire to work remotely, just look into the opportunities that are available in your field. Um, There's resources like Upwork, um, where you can go and look for what people need, what kind of services they need online. So yeah, just just doing some digging and seeing how you can make it work. Mm-hmm. It's As you've been traveling, um, you first you mentioned through Central America and now uh, Cape Town. What are some of your most memorable travel experiences thus far? <laughs> oh my God, that's a broad question. <laughs> it's really been, it's just been such a dream. Like here in Cape Town, I literally wake up every day and I'm like, what does today hold? Like, There's so many adventures to be had here. There's like epic hiking and I have some friends who, you know, will take me paragliding or maybe in a, in a little airplane or going free diving. Like I've been doing so much cool stuff here, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. But I think the best part is the people that I've met, like staying at the hostel here, you really get to know people. And there's a lot of um, long-term travelers as well who are here also for three months or longer. So we've become like a little family here in Cape Town and you really get to bond and you all do dinners together. And yeah, it's been so amazing to form those connections, like so far away from home, but just feeling so like so comfortable and like loved at the same time. Like I just feel like I have such a good network here now and I've only been here for a month and it's been like, it's really just exceeded my expectations. I'm curious, uh, given that you're living on the road, does it get to a point where it feels like you're not living out of a suitcase constantly? Well, yeah, because here in Cape Town, I, I've been here for over a month and I was lucky to have a private room. So I just unpacked all my stuff. It was basically like I had my own little studio here. Hmm. And what about meals and exercising? <laughs> uh, you know, the kinds of things that, you know, tend to, you know, tie us to a, you know, a, a, a particular routine or cooking on your own. How is that? Uh, worked out on the road for you? Yeah, it was a bit tougher in like Central America when I was kind of bopping around from place to place. But since I've been in Cape Town and I've kind of like 
based myself here. I've been able to like have a nice routine where in the morning I'll have breakfast here at the hostel. There's actually free breakfast at the hostel. I'm staying at Atlantic Point Backpackers and it's just the best. So that's a huge perk. Um, And then I'll, I'll just go work from a cafe during the day, like for yeah, the majority of the day. And I'll, I'll usually like get a coffee or maybe a meal there. And because the dollar here, like my dollar goes so far here, it's like, it's okay for me to spend like, like I'll usually spend like maybe $10 Canadian or like $7 US on like my, my lunch and my coffee for the day. So that's, that's kind of easy how it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing. And um, I love uh, following you vicariously on Instagram. <laughs> and <Okay>. uh, yes, <laughs> and I'm happy that uh, that you're part of the World Footprints family. So thank you so much for sharing. Oh, me too. Like World Footprints is a huge reason why I'm able to make this dream work. So like opportunities like that just mean so much to me. And also it's getting to like edit and work on travel articles. So that's what I love anyway. So yeah, thank you so much. It's been amazing. Follow Kelly on social media and look for links to some of the stories she's done on this show page at worldfootprints.com. One of the things I'm concerned about with this pandemic is that it will uh, frighten people away from traveling. But I think uh, between Michael and Kelly's stories, I personally find them very inspiring. And I hope that it really encourages people uh, to not stay at home, but to get out and explore the world and to do some planning. This this is a great time to begin planning your next trip. We know that. This is a really challenging time for all of us around the world, and we know that when things do get back to normal, travel and life will resume, perhaps not as we know it today, but life will resume. So think about building those bridges. Think about tearing down some of those walls, even as we are bunkered at home and wherever right now where we can't do those things except virtually or by phone or whatever technology allows us. But when we're back out there again, that'll be the opportunity to once again be global citizens and to be ambassadors of your home and to this world to show what's good about it. And there's a lot that's good about it. And I think this offers a great opportunity to really just connect with other people from around the world and begin building those bridges. As we close, we'd like to leave you with the words of Mark Twain. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. That's really one of my favorite quotes. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're so honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. Thank you for spending this time and allowing us to connect you to the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Public Radio Exchange, and many more. Connect with the world with a deeper understanding through powerful stories. 
Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and compelling articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter and receive a free gift. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast and website are those of the guests and authors and are not necessarily endorsed by World Footprints LLC.